Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to another edition of Around the Coin. I am your co-host Faisal Khan and joining with me is Dr. Mara Westling. She is a doctorate in AML and CFT. This is a new series we are starting with where AML stands for anti-money laundering and CFT stands for combating the financing of terrorism. AML CFT compliance is a, well, as many would put it, a very boring field, a very dry subject, but it is a subject that affects almost everyone in the financial services industry, and it's not talked about much. So we thought at here at Around the Coin, we start a new series where we discuss the entire and almost all the facets of, you know, uh, anti-money laundering, CFT, uh, what is FATA, you know, what are the various actors in the compliance industry and so forth. And there's a whole series of shows that we have I've, I've aligned for, uh, and set aside for this thing. And, you know, this is the introductory show. It is called The Birth of AML CFT, an introduction to anti-money laundering and countering financing of terrorism. So, without any further ado, my host, Dr. Mara Westing. Doctor, how are you? I am fine. How are you, Faisal? Doing very good, very good. So, let's get started. You know, the very basic, nascent question, what is AML CFT compliance and what does it stand for? Okay, well, it's always good to, uh, to start with the most basic questions first. And as you just uh, spelled out, AML means anti-money laundering and CFT stands for combating the financing of terrorism. And AML CFT compliance refers to an international and also national legal frameworks um, with which a whole range of professions need to comply to avoid money laundering from happening and terrorism financing from happening. And actually since 2012, it also includes combating the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. It is sometimes referred to as PF, proliferation finance. But, well, as you will understand, the acronym becomes really very, very long if we would talk about AML, CFT, PF compliance. So mostly people talk about either AML or AML, CFT, but it also includes proliferation finance and Maybe it's a good thing to state in the beginning that it's actually a very unhappy marriage between anti-money laundering and combating terrorism financing measures. And we could even say it's a very unhappy 
ménage à trois if we also take into account proliferation finance because how many laundering works and in practice and how terrorism financing works in practice is very different most of the times there are some cases where um, money laundering is used for financing terrorism but this is really not necessarily the case so, so I, I mean you know the one thing i'm sh uh, th thank you for that description the one thing i think the world does not need is another three letter acronym so you know aml cft will do that for, uh, exactly fine, exactly fine. thank you very much <laughs> but but it is a legal set of frameworks so this is not a voluntarily uh, or procedures or good best practices or good practices that you implement so this is a legal framework that you have to adhere to correct Exactly, exactly. On the international level, the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, that you just mentioned and that we will talk about in depth in the next podcast, um, formulates recommendations that are, well, what it says, recommendations, but in practice, countries really have no choice but adopt um, these um, recommendations translate them into national law or in the case of the EU in European law and then in national law because if they don't they are blacklisted and that's not a really good thing so it is a binding and um, in practice really compulsory framework. So I like the way you said it is you know they have no choice and I'm sure we will be having very colorful discussions going forward in the other shows about what that means so let's start with the second basic question. You know, you know, you've told us what AML CFT stands for. So tell us about, you know, what is it? What does the industry look like today? You know, what? You know, tell us something about the compliance industry today. Um, some of the questions that come to mind are: How big is it? How relevant is it? And you know, who wants to be a compliance officer? You know, I jokingly say this that you know I've never seen a child that says, hey, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be a compliance officer. That just doesn't happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, right. a, a little bit of something about the industry today, how big, it, how big and how relevant is it? Right, yes. You know, indeed, I don't know of any children and actually also very few adults that dream to be compliance officers, but it is, as I hope the shows will prove, a less boring topic and a much more um, approachable topic than it seems at first. So to answer your question, it, I try to look into numbers, how big is the sector, and it's really hard to find comprehensive statistics, how many people are in this industry, how much money is involved in the global compliance industry. But Those why is that? Why is that? Because it, it, this is one of the most regulated industry you are sort of uh, for lack of a better word, keeping account of every penny that is going through your system, surely we must have a good way of compiling statistics on how big the industry is, what the market size is, and how many people are employed in it. True, yeah, well, that's what you would think. But it does make sense, though, because it is a very fragmented scene. We uh, haven't discussed yet, but... Um, AML CFT compliance, there are many companies in the um, financial sector, but also outside the financial sector that need to um, do AML CFT compliance. So it's a very fragmented scene with many different professions and thousands of thousands of professionals that are concerned in all countries worldwide. 
So um, you would need to, well, find someone that uh, takes the time and really check all these different professions. How many people do they employ? How much money do they invest? So we do have some numbers, but rather on a scale of uh, either a sector um, like a banking association or an individual company. But it's very hard to find overall comprehensive um, numbers. But what about uh, CAMS, you know, the ACAMS Society, which is the Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists? Wouldn't they have a number? Because supposedly if you are going to be operating in the money transfer or, or the money uh, financial services you and you want to become a compliance officer, CAMS is the uh, sort of the go-to degree that you want to get, right? The certification. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's possible they have them. I haven't found anything online, but maybe if any uh, CAMS people <laughs> are listening and do have the numbers, that uh, I would be interested to have them. Um, but one of the very practical uh, issues, for instance, I have been talking to a regulator of the legal professions and um, dealers in high-value goods in the Netherlands, and uh, they don't even know how many um, companies they are under their regulation so it is very hard to really figure out wow. in detail <laughs> yeah it's maybe not a good thing to start the show with but um, <laughs> you know it, it, it's almost like the, the 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 navigation system is so screwed up we don't even know where we are going right well, we, as we will discover, uh, AML CFT compliance is not boring, but it is very complex. And I don't blame them for not knowing uh, exactly how many um, companies are registered because there is no uh, formal uh, certificate or declaration that mm. these companies have. So it's hard to know. There is some, mostly if something sounds weird, well, sometimes it is actually weird, but sometimes there is a, a reason. So, But I, I found some numbers for you. In 2017, um, in the House, U.S. House of Representatives, the Mid-Sized Bank Coalition of America declared that the 83 banks that it represents, they collectively have invested well over half a million dollars in technology to be in compliance with the Bank Se Secrecy Act. Just so half that's a the million or half a billion? Billion. Whoa. Billion. $500 million. Yes. Wow. Yes. And this is, so the, these are mid-sized banks that are part of their coalition. And they estimated that each of them spends upwards of $8 million per year on staff and support to ensure compliance with AML and CFT legislation. So that's one first indicator that we have. Mm -hmm. Another um, is Thomson Reuters survey amongst 800 firms in 2018. And they found that the larger firms allocate up to 25% of their total spend on operating costs, maintaining continuing compliant business operations. And... Um, this study also showed that a majority of companies expected to increase their compliance budget and the compliance staff um, into the next uh, years. And it has been a trend over the past years as well. Wow. So, 
so just want to you know point out that many people think Thomson Reuters is in the business of quoting FX rates or not. Thomson Reuters happens to be one of the largest companies in the world where you can query the database for purposes of identification and list checking and OFAC checking and politically exposed persons checking. And I'm sure we'll discuss uh, such kind of companies and the tools later on in the show. But it 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 baffles me that twenty five percent of the operating cost is going into compliance. So why is that? Um, well, the legislation is quite uh, extensive. It takes a lot of uh, time. So what companies, in a nutshell, what they have to do is to identify and know their clients. So um, know your customer uh, policies then they need to verify their clients and the activities of these clients against um, national and international sanctions lists. Just mentioned a PEP list, so politically exposed persons. Um, so they have to do watch list screening and they need to monitor transactions of their clients in order to detect suspicious behavior. So this takes uh, quite some effort for for banks, financial institutions, and also other regulated entities, uh, especially since a lot of these efforts, um, the well, they take quite some manpower, they take, take quite some budget, as we just mentioned, and the, um, the, the tricky part is that the, they have to deal with a lot of false, false positives as well, so it takes up a lot of time to find very little actual matches against sanctions lists or uh, very few suspicious transactions that turn out to be inexplicable and that need to be reported. So it's a lot of energy for um, something that is quite hard and complex to de detect. So it, it seems to me from what you're implying is that there are a lot many people involved in it. It's more of a manual human intervention process than automation, correct? Because if it was automation, then, you know, the cost would be low and the, the, the false positives would probably not require so much human intervention. Not necessarily. No, it really, there are both um, approaches. Um, there is a manual approach, but more and more, especially the bigger institutions, they all have software to do the watch list matching but there are a lot of false positives in these matches and that's the thing that the compliance officers have to check out okay is this a real um, positive or is it a false positive and that still takes a lot of work for them mm -hmm. so why are we doing aml cft compliance what 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 was the reason behind it you know maybe you can shed some light as to when and where did it start? Did it start in the 1600s, the 1500s, very recently? What, what, what's the history behind it? Yes, not, not the 1500s. Uh, it's not that old. Actually, it's, it's relatively new. Um, we are doing compliance, we can say more or less since the 1980s. But before that, in the 1960s and 70s, for instance, most countries had not defined money laundering or terrorism financing as crimes in their legal codes. One exception is the UK, but most countries, they had not bothered uh, putting it into their uh, laws uh, to criminalize these activities. So, of course, 
it was going on. There was money laundering, there was terrorism financing. A lot of countries in the 60s and 70s, especially in Europe, struggled with terrorism. But uh, it was examples like like I think what was it the uh, northern we I- have, the northern Ireland yeah no- northern Ireland IRA but we had the Brigate Rosse in uh, Italy we had the um, Rote Armee Fraktion in Germany so we we had some um, Moluccan um, um, separatist um, in the Netherlands Basques in uh, Spain. So there, there were many different groups, some because they wanted autonomy, others because they wanted a different economic system. So extreme right wing or left wing both uh, were occurring. So we had many, many uh, things going on actually in that time. But the financing was really considered irrelevant. And it might surprise us, but at the same time, it's the thing that they... At that time, for instance, there was this case, a uh, law enforcement officer talking about the IRA in the 70s, I believe, um, that they said, no, we don't look into the financial part of um, terrorism because the amounts are so low. And with low budget terrorism today, we, we find ex- exactly the same conclusion that it's hard to or does it make sense to go after the money if we can commit a terrorist attack with a knife or if we need little money there there are other other justifications and other rationals now but in the 70s they looked at it uh, from um, uh, this perspective and uh, there was also a very different banking industry at that time so um, it was paper it was slow not much could be done so Going after terrorism financing and going after money laundering is something that really emerged in in the 70s with the Watergate scandal in the US, but much more even in the 80s, that slowly we started to talk about follow the money and going after the profits of crime. But it was something that needed to be developed and that was not straightforward, uh, that it did not always seemed logic to people and and where does you know uh, so the birthplace is squarely at like say the mid 1980s correct yeah yeah that's that i would say for for aml it took many many steps to get where we are now but we can say okay the uk was a little bit of an early bird adopting the first laws in the late 60s but the U.S. followed in the mid-80s and the first global initiatives were taken by the Financial Action Task Force in 89. And this was in the context of combating money laundering of uh, the drug drug trade, drug trafficking. Um, and later on, it was more about organized crime in a broader sense. So, yeah, I would say the 80s was the start of the fight against dirty money, then we have to keep in mind that in the 1990s, when this legislation passed and started to take shape, and internationally, but also um, so in the national context, but there was quite some resistance from companies and also from governments to implement rules that would place additional burdens on business. It was, well, the 1990s, 90, 1980s, 1990s was the time of 
Thatcher and Clinton and ideology of free markets, deregulation. So it was not really popular to add new new burdens on banks and to tell them they have to make declarations and to identify their customers. So the first steps were made in the 80s and 90s, but I would say that after 9-11 was really a very, well, it was like a, a turning point for AML, CFT, compliance, regulation. What happened after 9-11? I mean, what specific ha- thing happened that it became more, let's use the word, stringent? Well, 9-11 was really a m- moment that, um, aside the military operations in, in the name of the war on terror, the financial aspect was very important. One of the first steps that at the time George W. Bush took uh, was to freeze assets of uh, suspected terrorists, so uh, Osama bin Laden and already existing sanctions, actually, that were taken by the U- UN Security Council. Uh, they were taken as a first measure to really show like a powerful uh, action quickly after 9-11. So um, the idea that finance could um, help detect terrorist plots ahead of time, that was one thing that really emerged after 9-11. And there was this idea of money flows, so either uh, related to terrorism, but also uh, a broader idea of criminal money flowing around the world and that really had to be stopped. So I would say... 9-11 9-11 was after the first birth of AML in in the 80s. Uh, 9-11 was an important second moment for everything regarding um, combating terrorism financing and money laundering. What about the part of legislation? Because you said AML is all about you know the legal frameworks. What happened to the legal frameworks post 9-11? Um, so first, there was a very big, big hope of and big expectations, and some extent it, it did pay out. But um, some of the ideas, well, on one hand, there was the idea to freeze accounts of suspected uh, persons, and the other thing was to trace networks through transaction monitoring, and uh, this has been tested out for some time. And there have been a few results, but it has not been as easy as uh, one thought maybe after uh, 9-11. So we can see, I would say the framework developed, um, but in 2012, um, I would say a third period started and uh, questions about effectiveness of everything that has been set up since the first FATF uh, framework in the late 80s, but also after uh, 9-11. I think in 2012, that was assessed and um, questions of effectiveness came more to the forefront. So why did it take 12 years for more laws to come in? What happened? Because today we hear about you know how stringent the laws are. It's all about compliance, 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 AML, CFT, etc., what particular set came in after 12 years after 9-11 that is, that is made where we are today? Um, no, I think the laws, um, so we had 40 recommendations on anti-money laundering that were developed 
from um, the creation of FATF. And after 9-11, we had nine more special re recommendations. First, there were eight, but then a ninth uh, was uh, added to that. And um, I think in 2012 was happened that, okay, we saw all this in practice and the the rules or the this framework did not change, but there was a moment of uh, evaluation from the perspective I'm talking about the uh, FATF. So FATF looked at is its own framework and at its procedures and tried, okay, what is lacking is really an understanding between a paper reality that was really a critique that they heard quite a lot and uh, and practice and are all these rules that we developed, is it really working? Is it really contributing to limiting or eradicating um, money laundering and terrorism financing? So we so will, I mean, we yeah. will discuss FATF later on in the uh, you know preceding shows after this one. But my let, let's look at you know what can we conclude now that you know it has evolved for how many twenty thirty years? Um, what can we yeah yeah what, yeah what can we conclusively say about what has the analysis of how AMLs and CFT has evolved? Um, so. Combating anti-money laundering and terrorism financing happens both by the private sector and the public sector. And it's a mindset that has had to grow and it's still developing step by step. Um, we can distinguish three different phases as we just did. So the 80s where things came together, where there was an evolution in IT capabilities, there was a change in political climate, a tougher stand on crime different societal priorities, a definition of, of what these crimes of uh, organized crime, money laundering, terrorism financing, what it really is in a legal sense. A second phase after 9-11 with a more of a zero tolerance stand towards these issues. And then a third phase that we just mentioned after 9-11, uh, no, after uh, 2012, where um, the FATF included proliferation finance and where it included a new methodology and also a reshuffling of their 40 recommendations. So it has been, I think, what we can conclude is that the elephant in the room, uh, the question of effectiveness is being addressed more and more. We are doing a lot to combat money laundering uh, we spend a lot of money on it, both public actors and private actors, but it's hard to prove if it's really, really effective. Um, and to some extent, we can look at it as a glass half full, glass half empty question, I think. So for the glass half full people, uh, they see tremendous effort. And I mean, we can establish there has been tremendous effort there's been enormous change if we compare to the 1980s or 90s or even the first years of the millennium there have been so many initiatives and uh, professionalization we mentioned ACAMS as well uh, professionalization of the sector these has been yeah enormous efforts we see also the public sector has really put up a lot of um, new infrastructure in the sense of um, supervising authorities, financial intelligence units, 
Um, also, the judiciary has be become more focused on, on going after money laundering and terrorism finance. And we have international organizations. We have so many different things, the United Nations, FATF, but also Europol, the Egmont Group. We have banking associations. So a lot has been done. And for the glass half full people, I think they're right in some sense. But for the glass half empty people, they see that the progress that has been made is, is very uneven. So no country is perfect, but some countries are really much more ahead uh, of others. Um, and they had the opportunity or also made the decision to invest a lot in AML CFT compliance while others are, are lagging behind. The, the same can be said for the private sector. Some financial institutions have cutting-edge technology. They have the most wonderful procedures and experts and they have everything, while others are really barely having the most basic procedures in place. So there is a lot of unevenness, a lot of difference between countries and between companies also companies yeah, in the same sector. And I think we must conclude uh, with the news of the, the headlines of the past weeks that even those companies that we would expect that, that have the most advanced tools and procedures and budget is not so much an is issue, they fail. They are getting fined by the regulators uh, or by supervising authorities and, and they are finding themselves... Um, in, in newspaper headlines. So the, the glass half empty people see everything that still needs to be done. Uh, they see that the solution of the past 20 years haven't evolved that much. I think we have this uneasy marriage between AML and CFT. Uh, we have a fight that is based on assumptions on how money laundering works and how terrorism is financed. But these phenomena they are changing all the time. And even when the legal framework catches up, which is often, it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game and um, the legal framework catches up new things that are happening in the real world. But often it's hard once the foundations are made, it's difficult to change the structure of the house. And I think if we look at the 20 or 30 years of AML CFT compliance, this is really a challenge that, um, well, we need to rethink some of the system. We need to rethink questions of effectiveness. Um, but it's very hard to, to get to a miracle solution. So um, maybe I, I'm... I'm making a very long uh, argument now. No, no, but no, I think no. But but I think you know it, it also goes to show that you know I, I love what you said. You know, it's very difficult to change the architecture once the foundations have been laid in. Uh, I think we've done tremendous progress in the education and awareness of the subject. You know, it's a subject that you know was very closeted, was you know very restricted, was not talked about. Now it is openly talked about. You have fintech firms looking at, you know, uh, the the compliance sector. The the compliance industry is booming. There are many conferences, and I just recently attended the Florida International Bankers Association FIBA. They have their annual conference, the AML conference in Miami, and I tell mm -hmm. you what a wonderful 
turnout it was. I've never seen so many bankers in one room. And there were many, many, many companies showcasing their, you know, exemplary products in the compliance space. So needless to say, it's it's an industry that is very important. And I think it's stepping into the spotlight in many ways. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think you you are part of the glass half full people that um, I think, and we will also discuss later on in later podcasts that we have um, new initiatives as well with public-private um, intelligence partnerships or with the potential of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So it's not standing still, but the miracle solution for everything is, of course, not not yet for tomorrow, but we can say the glass is half full if we look back where we came from and also with all the energy and yeah, the, the many initiatives and also uh, the brain power that is that is dedicated to this issue. Yeah. Dr. Mara, this has been very illuminating. Just to give some our viewers a little preview of what might be coming next, we will be talking about FATF, which is the Financial Action Task Force, creating gold standards and paper realities. We will be discussing the theater of compliance, understanding the actors of the compliance industry, the complexities of compliance, something on PEPs, which is the politically exposed persons, the UBO, ultimate benefit ownership, risk assessment, risk assessment, pardon me, identity, etc., uh, we will be talking about terrorism financing, past, future, past, present, and future, something like maybe, you know, we'll talk about the five myths of terrorism financing. And we will be talking about a subject that is very close to my heart, de-risking and de-banking, the collateral damage of compliance that has happened in respect to correspondent and respondent banking. We will also be talking about what, you know, Dr. Mara just mentioned, the opportunities and limits of artificial intelligence and machine learning, because these tools were not there. And many people don't know that AML in many, many cases is happening after the fact, after the transactions have happened. That is when you look at the structured data and try to find patterns in it. And, you know, there is a really great show that is being, um, you know, the show material, uh, the, the, the content has been compiled by Dr. Mara herself, is the AML CFT 2.0, where the uh, FI, FISPs, and this is a great uh, you know acronym I just came across. And you know, Dr. Mara, it's not a three-letter word; it's a four-letter word. So I give you, uh, I give you, you know, kudos <laughs> to that. You. So it's financial, it's financial intelligence sharing partnerships, the future of compliance. As always, if you have a question for us, please go. feel free to go to our website, www.aroundthecoin.com. You can fill out the contact form, and we would be happy to answer. So, Dr. Mara, before we hang up, uh, you know, maybe some, uh, if people want to get started in this field, some pointers for them, because you, and maybe you want to talk about a minute of what you have done in this field. Um, I think myself, I have a little bit of an atypical uh, path to towards AML and CFT because my uh, well, you have PhD... A, you, have, you have a PhD in this, right? <laughs> no. Well, in political science, but the topic was uh, combating terrorism financing in Europe. So um, that's about the framework that has been shaped and well, it talks about a lot of things. So I don't necessarily uh, advise people to go this way, but I think a good there are several associations. But the 
most known and well-established one is ACAMS. They um, they provide certificates and they have a very good website with a lot of content. They have news newsletters. So that would be a good start for people interested in this topic. Or otherwise, they can always contact you or me with questions and we can point them to other sources or maybe ask uh, have a answer ourselves. Thank you very much. That'll be all, ladies and gentlemen, for this week. Till next time, have a good one. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.